Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, 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 everyone. It's Greg Stanley, and we are back from Amelia Island. And yes, it was a long, long, long weekend. And why don't you know it, as soon as I get home Monday night planning to do this podcast, I have a stomach virus on Tuesday, so here it is Wednesday, and I'm doing everything I can to pull this together for tomorrow, Thursday. So hopefully you enjoy some of the information I put together for you. As always, Amelia Island was pretty spectacular, and they took great pride in really being the last Concorde before COVID shut the world down, and then also being the first one to open up, which isn't totally true because Greenbrier was a couple weeks ago. But as far as the majors, it was the first one to open back up. So if you've never been, there's always a lot of different things to do, a lot of fun stuff to do. I was able to enjoy some nice Fernandina Beach seafood. I actually grew up in Jacksonville, so went back to some of my old stomping grounds, which was a lot of fun. And I did have the pleasure of meeting longtime listener Phil Arnold, and we went to the Porsche Works reunion. We met there and walked around and looked at a lot of cool Porsches for a couple hours. That was a lot of fun. And then obviously we had the Big auction happening on Saturday, RM Sotheby's auction, and I'll get into the numbers here shortly. And then the huge show on Sunday, and that was a great time. Incredible, amazing cars, and it's always great to see not only past guests, but friends that I've met with over the years going to all of these cool types of shows. So I do want to get to the RM Sotheby's review. It was quite a stellar turnout, not only in the results, but in the folks that bid it on these cars. So total selling price for lots sold, $42 million, and there were 106 lots, and all but five of them sold. So the sell-through rate was 95.3%, incredibly high sell-through rate. Now, I do want to kind of grab a couple trends out of this. It's always hard when you're looking at only approximately 101 cars, but still, I think there's some fun stuff we can pull out of this data. Now, I will start with the highest price cars. The highest sale of the sale was a 2029, I'm sorry, was a 1929 Duesenberg Model J Disappearing Top Torpedo. This was the cover car, for lack of a better word. You might have seen it on some of the advertising. Uh, all this information, I'm comparing it to the low estimate to see how the final hammer price compared to the low estimate. Uh, when I talk to folks about, you know, these estimates, RM is really good at trying to get these dialed in. And if... You know, the results are lower than the low estimate. It could be speaking to a trend coming up or even if they're higher than the high estimate. So we like to look at what is outside the parameters and then just kind of see what's going on in the marketplace based on the results at these auctions. So like I said, the first one's the 1929 Duesenberg Model J. The low estimate was 3.5 million. I believe the high estimate was 4 million. 
and this one hammered at 48.6% above low estimate. And now this does not include any fees related to the consignment. Now the next one's a 1995 Ferrari F50. These have been pretty hot in the marketplace, as you'll know from some of my past podcasts. The low estimate was 3.4. It sold for 3.425, so just up a little bit. The third highest selling car was a 1968 Ferrari 275 GTB4. This is a gorgeous, wonderful car, and they had a great representation at the Concours on these cars. This one was just 2% above the low estimate of $2.5 million. And this was also the cover art for my last podcast. Now, this one was a beautiful yellow color, which is not to everyone's taste. So I would suspect if it was a pretty blue or a red or a black, it would have sold for even more. Now, the next two are two more Ferraris. Uh, 1971 Ferrari 365 Daytona Spider for 2.25 mil was the low estimate. And it actually sold for 2.225. So that one was a little under low estimate. The next one's a 1992 Ferrari F40. Estimate was 1.8. It sold for 1.85, so 2.8% above. And then this one was a surprise. A 1935 Mercedes-Benz 500K Roadster. Low estimate was 1 million. It sold 1.45. So 45% above the low estimate. That had a pretty strong result there. And then a 1961 Ferrari 250 GT Cabriolet Series 2. Low estimate was 1.2, and it sold for 1.35. 12.5% above the estimate. So those are some of the high sales from Amelia Island. Uh, I do want to go on the opposite end of the spectrum and pick out the lowest priced cars, something more in my budget. Now, this was pretty spectacular, some of these results. Uh, the lowest priced car was the very last car in the sale, a 1990 Mercedes-Benz 300 SLE. So that, yes, is a four-door Mercedes from the 1990s, actually 1990. The low estimate was 15 grand and it sold for 31 grand, 106.7% over the low estimate. Now, why did that happen? Well, simple math here, that only had 8,000 miles on it. So, folks are really trying to find those, especially the next generation of collectors. Anything with low miles, people are grabbing up. Now, the next cheapest was a 1938 American Bantam Boulevard Delivery. Low estimate was 60 grand. It only it was hammered sold at 35 grand. So, almost 42% under the low estimate, really cute car, but not a folk, not a lot of folks are looking for those right now. And then a 1966 Lancia Coupe, low estimate was 50 grand, it sold for 35 grand, so 30, 30% below a low estimate. And then a 1968 Furvis Ranger, if you don't know what that is, please check out our website. It's a really cute, kind of doom buggy looking thing. Low estimate was 40 grand, it sold for 42.5, so 6.3% above low estimate. This one has made it on the auction circuit a few times, selling as high as 90 grand a couple years ago. Now, we want to look at the overachievers against the low estimate. So these are the ones that hit the highest percent increase based on the low estimate. The first one is the one that I've already mentioned, the 1990 Mercedes-Benz 300 SEL. The second one was a great surprise, and it was also later in the auction. It was a beautiful yellow Dodge Viper 2002 RT10 with, I want to say, around 3,400 miles. Low estimate was 30 grand. It sold for 56 so up 83.3% above low estimate. Uh, let's see, the next one's a 1965 Porsche 356C Cabriolet. Low estimate was 150 grand. It sold for 250 grand. So it sold for $100,000 above the low estimate. That's a uh, 66.7% higher than the low estimate. And the next one's a 1965 Austin Healey 3000 Mark III. $90,000 was the low estimate. It hammered at one fifty. So again, up 66.7% compared to the low estimate. 
And I know why. This was a spectacular example. Mostly it was the color. And if you go back to my conversation with Ramsey Potts from last week, I was in love with this car and I was in love with the color. And that really does explain the high result. Now the last one is a 2008 Mercedes-Benz CLK 63 AMG Black Series. So these are the really cool, awesome-looking Mercedes-Benz from the 2000. 1000s. Low estimate was 80 grand. Hammer price was 130, 62.5% above low estimate. So those are just some of the overachievers when you look at the low estimate. So now let's look and see how some of the Porsches did. So from a Porsche perspective, all the Porsches, let's see, they all sold two, four, six. There's about 14 or 16 of these Porsches. Half of them sold above low estimate. The other half sold below low estimate. Netting out at 5.7% up for all of the Porsches. The top seller was the 1965 Porsche 356C Cabriolet I mentioned before. The second highest was the 1994 Porsche 911 Speedster Red with red wheels. Low estimate was 150. It sold for 190. So 26.7% above low estimate. That one was pretty shocking. And again, that was a low mile car. And then we had a couple Carreras, a Carrera RS 3.8 and a Carrera RSR 3.8. Both of them sold strong. And then the ones that started to decline, there was no real rhyme or reason here that I could pull out. Something that was a little bit surprising is the two, the two lowest that, decl- that sold for the most under low estimate. One was a 1965 Porsche 356C 1600 sunroof coupe. Low estimate was 140 and it sold for 110 And then the one that actually sold the lowest under low estimate was a 1966 Porsche 911. The estimate was 150 and it sold for 115 So I'm not quite sure what drove those numbers behind that. But there were a lot of great examples at Amelia. All right, now we'll look at Ferraris. So let's go ahead and look at some Ferraris. So there were nine Ferraris in the sale. And all of them but one were up versus the low estimate. Realized results higher than the low estimate. The top seller was a 2007 Ferrari 599 GTB. The low estimate was $500,000 and it sold for six twenty-five. So that was a 25% increase over low estimate. The second one was a 1961 250 GT Cabriolet Series 2. The estimate was 1.2, so for 1.35, 12.5% above the low estimate. And then the next one, which is always an interesting one, is the next gen car, the 2005 Ferrari Super America. Low estimate was 225 and it sold for 240, so 6.7% above the low estimate. That's that interesting one that's a hard top convertible, has a glass top, but the back of the top curves around, kind of flips. Uh, you either pretty much love it or hate it. Now, the cars that were either flat or down was a 1972 365 GTB Daytona Barilonetta. That's the Coupe Daytona. Low estimate was 500 grand, and it sold for 500 grand. So those have pretty much bottomed out, and they are staying there for right now. And what's ironic is you take the top off of that car, and you realize much higher prices. So the one that actually declined a little bit when compared to the low estimate was the 1971 Ferrari 365 GTS Daytona Spider. So the Coupe was 500 grand estimate. And the Spider is 2.25 million estimate, and it sold for 2.225. Like I mentioned before, 1.1% under the low estimate. As a whole, the Ferrari sold for 3.1% over the low estimate. All right, now let's look at the best buys. How do I identify the best buys? Basically, I identify the best buys by the ones that were the furthest off from the low estimate. So the number one car was a 1919 Pierce Arrow Series 31 four-passenger Roadster. The low estimate was 200 grand. It hammered at $110,000. I'm not quite sure what was, what was happening there. It was one of the oldest cars in the sale, and the right audience might not have been there. 
The next one I mentioned before was the 1938 American Bantam Boulevard Delivery. And then we had a 1970 Oldsmobile 442 convertible. Low estimate was 90 grand and it sold for $55,000. A couple others I will call out here. Here's the one I wish that I had taken home. A 1960 Oldsmobile 98 convertible. Estimate, low estimate was $75,000 and it sold for 50. And that was a beautiful white with red interior. And then the last one I'll mention, which is in my mind, the biggest sale of the entire auction was the 1960 Chevrolet Corvette LM. That was the race car that was in Le Mans. And subject to our episode two weeks ago, where I interviewed Kevin McKay, the low estimate was $900,000 and it sold for 685. So think about that. A Le Mans participating 1960 Corvette. There's only three of them ever known. Someone bought this for $685,000. Hopefully they'll take it right up there to Kevin McKay's shop and get him to put it all back together in perfect shape. Not sure what it would be worth then, but if you figure three hundred grand on the restoration, you're at just under a million dollars. My guess is that car was probably would probably be worth one point three to one point eight million dollars after the fact. So I think that was the best buy of the entire auction. Okay, this is where I like to really get into the weeds a little bit. All of the American cars, they had a ninety-two point seven percent sell-through rate, up eight percent versus the low estimate. The top American cars, and now some of these I will have. I'm repeating here, but it's a 2002 Dodge Viper, a 1934 Dodge KCL Suburban, the 1929 Duesenberg, a 1911 Winton model 17B five-passenger touring car, and then the 2014 Chevrolet SS NASCAR Jeff Gordon car. Now, this is all based on percent increase over the low estimate. Now, the bottom American cars, I'll just call a couple off here. The two that really dragged this whole thing down, I mentioned them before, was the 1938 American Bantam Boulevard Delivery and the 1919 Pierce Aero Series 31. Now, when we're looking at the top European cars, they had a 96.6% sell-through rate, up 5.7% compared to the low estimate. The number one car was that 1990 Mercedes-Benz 300 SEL, up 106.7%. And the number two car... Actually, two and three were the same, both up 66.7%. That 1965 Austin Healey and the 1965 Porsche 356C Cabriolet. Now, the bottom European cars, I'll just read off the bottom two here. It's the 1966 Lancia was down 30%, and then the 1958 FMR Tiger, that's the mini car, was down 36%. So the estimate, the low estimate was $125,000, and it sold for $80,000, which is much more realistic price range for that car. Now, I did pull the Japanese car. There were Japanese cars. There were only two represented as a whole. They were up 51.4% versus low estimates, so they really blew it out of the water. The first one's a 1981 Toyota FJ43 Land Cruiser that was redone by the FJ company. Low estimate was 110 It sold for 160 And then this one was very telling, the 2012 Lexus LFA. Low mile car again. Low estimate was 425000 it sold for $650,000, up 52.9% versus lowest lower estimate. All right, then I decided to do it by decade. Yes, you heard that right. I am reviewing how these cars actually did by decade. So in the 1880s, there was only one car. It was up 25% versus lowest estimate. The 1910s, there were three cars. They were basically flat, down 1.7. The 1920s, there was only one car, up 25%, which is a stellar result. The 1930s... There were 14 cars, up 5.9%, which is pretty interesting that, that, that the 1930 cars were doing that well. The 1940s, there were two cars, down 7.4%. The 1950s, there were 15 cars, down 6.9%. And 
So that, that might speak a little bit to the generational shift that's occurring here. Same with the 1940s, honestly. The 1960s were basically flat. There were 22 cars down 0.4%. The 1970s, there were eight cars basically flat, down 0.7%. And then the next four decades were all increases, pretty significant increases. The 1980s, there were seven cars, up 4.8%. The 1990s, there were nine cars, up 3.6%. Now here's the big numbers here. The 2000s, there were nine cars, and they were up 14.1%. And then finally, for the 2010s, there were three cars, and they were up 21.3%. So I did come up with a couple bullet points here that I feel like kind of capture some of the stuff that occurred at Amelia. Now, it's a small pool of cars, but I think there's a couple things that you can pull out of this. The first observation is the days of getting a good Ferrari F40 for under $1.5 million are long gone. I have a friend, he was looking for one, and he swore he wouldn't pay more than a million dollars for one, and I think that would is just gone. There's no way that's going to happen now. The one we hold, we had sold very strong, and I think all of them are pretty much going to be over the $1.2, $1.5 million range. Now, the early Dodge Vipers are hot. I've seen a couple of different articles about this. If you followed us on the Collective Car Fantasy Football, one of us picked that car, and it's doing tremendously well, especially the early generation for this at this point so if you have a dodge viper now mileage and condition is paramount for these cars so if you see one or want to have one want to enjoy one get it now because you're not going to go down the next comment i have is that the cadillacs have cooled a little bit Uh, we've had some 1950s and 1960s cadillacs uh, on some of these previous auctions and they've really over exceeded expectations and i believe all three or two of the three or three of the four missed their low estimates. So uh, the estimates kind of went with the recent trend of them going up. I think they pretty much have plateaued and have not quite reached that level they reached a month or two ago. Not that they've gone down a tremendous amount, but they seem it seems like they have cooled. Now, we did have one Porsche 918. I was surprised it didn't go for more. It went for just over $1 million, which was the low estimate. For the longest time, you'd have to pay $1.2 million for a regular one and then $1.4 million for the Vysok one. It seems like those have come back to the earth a little bit. still out of my price range. And then low mileage is a big factor. If you look at some of these big results on some of these cars, I didn't pull them all. I pulled a few. Some of these big numbers were because of the mileage and the condition. The LFA had under 500 miles. The Ford GT had 2.6 miles on it. And for the record, I hate this trend because I am a driver. I would never have a cool car in my garage and not drive it. The 1994 Porsche 911 Speedster had under 12,000 miles. I mean, that's a 30-year-old car under 12,000 miles. The 2002 Dodge Viper I mentioned before had under 3.4. I'm sorry, under 3,400 miles. And the 1990 Mercedes-Benz 300 SEL had under 8,000 miles. And then another observation is, as always, the best of the best brings the money. That is talking about our Duesenberg. That was a gorgeous bare metal boat tail Speedster that went a million dollars over high estimate and then lastly the next generation collector is active as i mentioned before here the 1980s the 1990s and 2000s and 2010s all of those trends on those cars from this auction were positive as a whole which is pretty interesting now if you look at the 1940s 50s 60s and 70s those were all down slightly versus the low estimates the 1930s were up surprisingly a little bit 1920s were up because of the duesenberg and then the 1910s were down and the 1880s was only one car so it just overperformed as well so i know that was a little bit brief i'm sorry about that i had to pull it all together pretty quick and haven't i have not been feeling well 
I got some type of stomach virus. It was not the COVID. So I appreciate all your nice comments and everything. So I will have a more in-depth review on a couple other podcasts reviewing the Amelia Island results. I know I'll be on the Smoking Tire, I believe, June the 10th, somewhere around there. So I will cover this even more in-depth. So be sure to keep an ear out for that. And stay tuned because I think I'll be a guest on a couple other podcasts here soon. It's always nice to get a perspective other than my own. So as always, thanks for listening and I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.